Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. On five, between LA and San Francisco, you know that it can get a bit monotonous. And I wanted to maximize my efficiency, so I would always drive either really, really early in the morning, which was rare, but usually late in the afternoon, early evening, thinking, you know, six hours, seven hours. If I get there at one, two o'clock in the morning, I'm good. And so there was this one time, and I remember it very clearly because it was a little funny and also scary, but I was driving back in the evening from L.A. to San Francisco. And I must have been like at the five, probably about two hours out, it was like one o'clock in the morning. And I was, as you can imagine, getting sleepy. So I did everything that they say for you to do when you're sleepy while you're driving to wake up. So the first thing I did was I opened all the windows. So the windows were going, the air was blowing in, and you know how that is, right? You're going 65 miles an hour. Yeah, I only have one hand, so 65 miles an hour, right? You're driving and you hear the air rushing in. It wasn't working. So I turned the radio on, and there was no phones back then, so you actually had to turn the radio on. And I found a nice station that I knew the words, and so I'm driving, the windows are open, and I'm singing. This also didn't do it. Fortunately... I had a bag of Burger King in the seat right next to me. So I want you to picture this. I'm driving in the car, 65 miles an hour. All of the windows are open. It's nighttime. I am singing along with my favorite songs with cheeseburger in my mouth. And I am still doing this. I'm still falling asleep. Now, see, I thought that I was doing what I needed to do. I thought what I was doing there was, was okay. I mean, I had justified it. I thought for me that was the best thing for the situation that I was in for me to do. And what I didn't realize was, was that while I was doing that, in doing that, I was not only damaging myself, but I was also setting myself up for potential disaster. And that's what happens when we don't take breaks, when we don't rest. So today we are starting a new series, and it's called Rest Stop. And for the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about why is it that we need rest? Why is it that it is important for us to stop working? In fact, Scripture tells us that God thought and knew that it was so important for us to get rest that not only did he model the rhythm of rest that he wanted us to have, but he also set aside a time for us to get that rest. And so as we talk through, one of the things that I I really want to bear down on and that we're going to see as we go through this series is that this, this, what we're talking about today... Rest. This may be 
The single best thing that you can do to improve the quality of your life, your family's life, and, and this may be a surprise to you, ultimately the life of our society. Because whether you're a Christian or not, whether you believe in a literal six-day creation or not, you're going to see the wisdom in what we're going to talk about today. So we're going to start in a book that was written a long, long time ago. It's a book called Genesis, um, which Genesis just means the beginning. And this is the first book in the Bible. And in there is an account of creation. As Christians believe that this is what happened when the world was created. And at the end of it, at the end of that creation process, at the end of that six-day, was it really six days creation thing, it says this. And this is, this is the, the writer, and he's talking, and he's telling us this. He says, Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. Now, for six days, he was creating stuff. Like, he would get up in the morning, and he would create stuff, and at the end of the day, at every single day up to then, he would look at what he had made, and he would say, Wow, that's good. But on the very last day, he took a look around, and he changed from good to very good. Now, when I was back at that time period when I was driving back and forth between LA and San Francisco, my mother used to make cakes. Now, I'm not talking about the Duncan Hines, Betty Crocker kind of cakes. I'm talking about those big, fancy cakes that were shiny and had flowers on them. I mean, it was crazy. And if you had to live with it, you, you'd know it was crazy. But the first thing that she would do when she made the cake was to actually bake the cake itself, you know, with the flour and the stuff inside it. So she would bake the cake, and then what she would do is she would take this paste. It's like a solid dough putty of icing that they call fondant. And you may have seen this before. They roll it out, and then they shape it. She would shape it over the cake and, and, and cut off the edges and lace the bottom, and it would just be this nice, perfect, round thing. And when you were done and you looked at it, you would look at it and you'd go, yeah, that's, that's good, right? But then the next thing she would do is she would make these flowers out of the fondant. They, they look like that, which I was pretty impressed with. Of course, I was young then, so lots of things impressed me. But this impressed me. And one by one, she would roll out each one of those petals for each one of those flowers, and when you, when, you, when, you, when you take each flower and you roll it out, you look at each flower, man, it's impressive. It, it looks good. But when she puts it all together and stacks the layers and adds the flowers and you can see what the cake looks like when it's done. Now, that's not one of hers. <laughs> right? and, and, and here's the funny part. That's small. That's why it's not one of hers. That's too small for the ones that she used to make. I mean, the ones she used to make were taller than me. But when you looked at it all done and all completed, you take a step back and you go, wow, now that's very good. It was finished. It was completed. It, it was done. It was, it was, it was, I mean, there was nothing left to do. And then she does what we all do. What every single one of us does when we finish a job or a project or we finish doing something at work, it's what we do when, when, when we finish you know, do, remodeling that bathroom in our house 
or, or what we do when we finish finally mowing and edging the lawn and sweeping everything away, or, or what we do when we, when we finish vacuuming out the car and, 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 and giving it a wash on the outside. We, we take a step back, right? We wipe the sweat from our temple. We look at, at, at what we have done, and we kind of take a deep breath and just go, wow, that was something. We appreciate the work that we've put into it. And we enjoy this thing that we have done, but also we stop, right? Once you're done mowing the lawn and it's perfect, you don't keep mowing the lawn. Once you've finished what you're doing, you stop. This is what it says just a couple of verses later. It says, on the seventh day, God finished his work of creation. In other words, all of that stuff that he was doing was done. He finished his work of creation, so he rested from all of his work. He created, and then he rested. Now, get this. God wasn't tired, right? He wasn't out there, like, digging holes and planting trees. He wasn't tired, but he rested. And then what he said was, listen, you need to rest too. He created everything in six days. He worked for six days, and then he stopped. He rested. And what he's saying to you and me is that we need to do the same thing. This is the same pattern that I want you to follow. I want you to work, but then I need you to stop. I need you to rest. Now listen, and, and if you've been here a few a series ago, we, we, had, we did a whole series about work. And if you want to listen to that, it, it's posted online. But one of the things that we talked about was that work is part of God's plan. God didn't plan for us not to work. Work is something that he intends for us to do. There was work in, in, in perfection, in paradise. There was work. There's going to be work when paradise is restored. Work is part of that. And you know that. Because you know that when you're at work, when you accomplish something, that you can't get that sense of, of this is my purpose or, or, or that sense of accomplishment. You can't get that from anywhere else except for when you're doing your work. Whether that's your vocational work or your hobby or that thing that you do that keeps you busy on the weekends. And what God says is, listen, I want you to do that, but I only want you to do it for six days out of the week. Because you need a rest. And you need to take a break. You need an opportunity to take a step back, wipe the sweat from your brow, to look at what it is that you have accomplished, and, and just be able to enjoy it. Because if you don't rest, if you don't stop, if you don't take a break, you not only do damage to yourself, but you set yourself up for potential disaster. And this really isn't news to us. Because we all know what happens when we push ourselves over the limit, right? When we work and work and work and, and we don't get any rest. In fact, there are four distinct things that we know happens to a person when, when we work and we don't take a break. The first thing that happens is, is that we get discharged. And what I mean by that is our energy goes. Uh, our, our, our strength, our, our physical ability to be able to do the work just leaves us. And we end up not being able to do anywhere near as well as what we're supposed to be doing. In fact, it's interesting because in a society that we live in today that pushes us to be, to be more, to do more, to outperform the competitors, 
it's actually taking a physical toll on us and it's making us less productive and less able to do more. There was a 2015 um, Harvard Health Report that, that says this. It says, the reasons why overwork and cardiovascular risk are linked are not entirely clear. Overwork and stress are also associated with many cardiac risk factors. Those who work long hours tend to have unhealthy lifestyles. With less exercise, worse diets, and higher consumption of alcohol and tobacco. And when I was driving in that car with the burger in my mouth, that was like 30 years ago. And what statisticians are telling us today is that drowsy driving is at an all-time high. 26% is what they're saying. 26% of accidents today are involved somehow with drowsy driving. And it's not just truckers anymore, because that's who it used to be. But it's everybody. People are tired. The second thing is, is that without rest, we become disconnected. We become emotionally disconnected with people. And, and it's weird because now technology allows us to become more connected with more people. And yet, people are feeling less connected to people than they ever have been. And when we overwork, everything in our life, all of our relationships, they suffer. Our families suffer. Our relationships suffer. Our marriages suffer. Ask anyone who is married to a workaholic, and they will tell you that that's not how it's supposed to be. And the interesting thing is, is that the more connected you are to your work, the less that you are able to connect to people outside of your work to your family, and to your friends. The third thing that happens is this. We become disorganized. Our brains stop functioning. Have you ever been at that place where you just can't take in any more information? Where no matter what you do, you're reading something, or you're listening to something, or you're watching something, and, and you're supposed to be taking it in, and you just can't because your brain has just completely quit? Where, where you just can't do anything anymore, where even mindless tasks, are, you're somehow not getting them right because you're so mentally exhausted. And part of that is because in, in the culture and the society that we live in today, even if you're not doing physical work, many of us are in jobs and careers where when we're not working, we're still thinking about work. We don't get a break. And that kind of mental work is even more tiring on us than physical work is. The fourth way that, the fourth thing that happens to us when we don't have rest is we become disturbed. It's, uh, you know, if you're a Star Wars fan, it's, uh, there's a disturbance in the force, right? If you're a Spider-Man fan, then your spidey sense is tingling. Right? But you guys know this, right? You, you've had those times in your life where you've just gone, 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 work, 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 work. And you know inside that this is not how life is supposed to be. Right? You feel it. You feel inside that this isn't how things are supposed to be. You know that something is wrong, that there is a disturbance. Now, a long time ago, there was a, a man named Paul. If you grew up in church, you might know him as, as the Apostle Paul or Saint Paul. But Paul was 
somebody who, who started in his career going after and trying to put Christians in jail, and then he, he met Jesus and, and he completely turned his life around. He became the biggest fan of Jesus. He wrote more of what we call today the New Testament in scriptures than anyone else. And Paul, he gives us some advice. He, he wrote a letter to, to the Christians that were living in, in a place in, in the ancient Roman times called Ephesus. And he wrote this letter to them, and in it he wrote this. It's, it's in chapter 5, verse 15, and he writes, See then, and he's talking to the Christians. He's talking to the people who have some basis of some understanding of scriptures. And he says, See then that you walk circumspectly. Not as fools, but as wise. Now, in, this, in the Greek that this was originally written in, when he talks about the walk, he's not talking about like I'm taking a walk around the block or I'm taking a walk down the street. When he says walk there, what he's talking about is how we live our lives. So he's saying, see then that as you live your life, that you live your life circumspectly, which means wisely. You live your life wisely. And I think if you think about it for a moment, what you're going to realize is, is that in the culture that we live in today, living wisely is almost always about how you spend your time, isn't it? How you allocate your time. That's what people say when they tell you that you're living wisely, or that's what you have to evaluate, because you can always get more money, but you can only get so much time. So he says, see then that you walk circumspectly, that you live your life wisely, not as fools, but as wise. And then he uses this phrase, redeeming the time, redeeming the time. Now that word redeem is a, it's actually a word that's taken out of the marketplace. Now, if you would have invested a thousand dollars in Microsoft in 1987, 87, wow, that wasn't that long ago. If you had invested $1,000 in Microsoft in 1987, today that $1,000 would be worth $845,000. You would have made a killing. And that's where that word redeeming comes from. It's talking about making a killing in the marketplace. Like you made a huge deal. Like you bought something for a dollar and then you sold it for $5,000. That's the phrase that Paul is using here. And what he's saying is, is that I want you to spend your time so wisely, so strategically, that the return that you get on it is going to be incredible. It's going to be unbelievable. That you will be able to choose your time, and how you allocate your time is going to pay off huge in your life. And he, says, and he tells us why. He says, because the days are evil. And when he says that, he's not just talking about that it's bad times. And we know what bad times looks like, right? Crime is up. Um, homelessness is up. They're living in bad times. That's, that's part of that. But that's not, it, that doesn't encompass everything he's trying to say. What he's trying to say is, is there's an implication in that phrase that, that we shouldn't be wasting our time. That the days work against us. That the time that runs is working against us. Because time runs, whether you're aware of it or not. Time runs whether you plan it out or not. And so I want you to make sure that you strategically spend your time because the time is going to run. He goes on and he says, Therefore, do not be 
unwise. And this unwise is not the same unwise that, that, that we talked about in, in, in verse 15. This is a different unwise. This is more of a, of a foolishness, of a thoughtlessness. And then he says, but, therefore, do not be unwise, but, because he's about to tell us the opposite of what being unwise is. He says, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In other words, he's saying, I want you to understand how God wants you to live your life. I want you to understand what God designed you for to live this life. Now, there's an account of the Jewish people, and, and they spent 400 years in slavery in Egypt. For 400 years, what started out as a relatively good-sized family turned into over a million people who had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And when they finally escaped, they had to rebuild a society. In fact, because they started out as a family, they never really had a society. So they had to build a new society from scratch, a brand new society. And God gave them a set of rules to live by. He says, this is how I want you to live your life. Not for my sake, not for my benefit, but for yours. Because God's talking to them and he's telling them, he reminds them several times, you have been trapped in slavery for a long time. And now that you are out of it, now that you are in a place where you are no longer bound by that slavery, because you have struggled so long just to survive, I want you now to take an opportunity to learn how to live. And so a few uh, verses on from Genesis, in fact, the, the next book over, as God is giving these instructions to his people on how to, to live life now, he says this. He says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now, holy is, is it's, it's an interesting word because it's come up with different connotations over the years. And, and, and we actually are now seeing in culture where holy and the use of the word holy has actually become negative. But holy, the only thing holy really means is set apart, set aside. That it's separated from everything else. And so God says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. See, he's saying remember because this isn't something new. It isn't something that they had never understood or had never done before, and all of a sudden, I'm, I'm making this up right now. That's not what it is. This isn't something that he just thought of. See, because he's reminding them. When he uses the word remember, he says, listen, I worked too. Remember? I worked, and then I rested. Remember? And then I set aside this day. I made it holy. I separated it from everything else. Remember? And you got to be like, okay, yeah, I remember now. Okay, I, re I read that before. You did that, so how do I do that? And he tells us. He says, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. He says, just like I did, you work for six days. Just like I did, you go out and you get done everything you need to get done. Get it done in six days. Because just like I did, you need a day off. And just like I did, you need to take that seventh day and you need to set it aside. And how do you do that? And this is the only instruction that we are given 
on what to do on that seventh day. He says, on it, you shall not do any work. You need to take a break. You need to rest. You need to stop. You need some time off. And this isn't something that is just very unique to Scripture. This isn't something that is unique to Christians. In fact, if you look at all of the research today, all of the research today tells us that we suffer when we don't take breaks, that we suffer when we push ourselves past where it is that we need to be. And there's something inside you that as I've been talking that you know. Some of you, you, you know that you can't take a day off, but you know what it would be like if you could. Because when we do take that day, when we do get the rest that we need, then instead of being discharged, what happens is we become recharged. If you, are, if you are somebody who goes to the gym, you exercise, you build muscle, you know this. That you need that time off after you've been working out for your muscles to heal. For them to get stronger. Because you can't get stronger unless you take the break. We know that when you are sick, when you're not feeling well, that what you all, the only thing that you can do is you can just lay in bed and feel miserable. But there's a reason why you're laying in bed and feeling miserable, while your body makes you do that. Because when you're not doing anything else, your body has the ability to heal itself. So you need to take that rest. In fact, when you're taking time off, your physical body actually builds up its immune system. So you need that. It recharges our body. But the second thing that happens is, is that instead of becoming disconnected, when we take that break, we become reconnected. Right? If you, if you practice Sabbath, it's most likely going to be time that you're going to spend with your family and with your friends. Right? If you had a day off, what you were going to do is you're going to spend that time with people that you want to spend your time with instead of the people that you have to spend your time with. And you don't want to spend all of your time with the people that you have to spend your time with. Wouldn't you rather spend your time with the people that you want to spend your time with? The next thing is, is that instead of remaining disorganized, we become reorganized. There's an article that was written by Tony Schwartz in the New York Times, and he writes this. He says, more and more of us find ourselves unable to juggle overwhelming demands, and maintain a seemingly unsustainable pace. Paradoxically, the best way to get more done may be to spend more time doing less. A new and growing body of multidisciplinary research shows that strategic renewal, strategic renewal, planned renewal, boosts productivity job performance, and, of course, health. And then he says this interesting thing. The importance of restoration is rooted in our physiology. Christians, we know this. We are designed to need rest. Human beings aren't designed to expend energy con continuously. It opens up our brains. It, it, it lets us think better. 
it makes us more productive in the times that we're working when we get the rest that we need. And finally, instead of feeling the disturbance in the force, instead of remaining disturbed in our brains, when we get the rest that we need, we become refreshed. There's a a pastor in New York. He pastors one of the largest churches in New York. One of the the most well-known theologians of our time today, his name is Tim Keller, and he wrote about the Sabbath rest, and this is what he wrote. He said, thus, Sabbath is about more than external rest of the body. It is about inner rest of the soul. It's not just about physically restoring us in our bodies or in our brains. But when we take that day, it actually provides rest for our soul. And then he says this. He says, we need rest from the anxiety and strain of our overwork. And then he tells us something that I think if we thought about it, we would recognize that he is right. But I think we don't want to think about it because of the fact that he is right. He says that overwork is really an attempt to justify ourselves, to gain the money or the status or the reputation we think we have to have. Avoiding overwork requires deep rest in Christ's finished work for your salvation. Only then will you be able to walk away regularly from your vocational work and rest. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that as long as your identity is based in what you do, as long as your identity is based in who you are, as long as your identity is based in the, the, the two or three letters in front of your name or the two or three letters at the end of your name, as long as that's who you are, you're never going to rest. You're never going to be able to take a break. You're never going to be able to walk away. You will always feel the need to work harder. You will always feel the need to do more because at the very root of it, you feel the need to prove that you are worthy to everyone else because that's where your identity is. And what Tim Keller is telling us and what if you are a Christian that you know that you have read, that you have been told many, many times is that you are someone not because of what you do, but because of what the person who created you has done. That value has always been founded in what someone else is willing to pay for you. And Scripture tells us that our value is so immense that the price that was paid was that the Creator gave His life for you and for me. And when you are able to rest in the idea that your identity is not based on your job, your career, your work, your bank account, that your identity is based on the person who created you and the person who gave His life to save you, then you can really rest and you can really stop. And the great thing about this is, is that you don't even have to be a Christian to gain the benefits of taking that day off.
So imagine for a moment, just for a moment, imagine what it would be like like if somebody gave you a free day in your week. If somebody set in motion everything that needed to happen so you could take one day and do nothing. One day and not have to think about work. One day where you didn't have to think about your coworkers or your boss or the people that work for you. One day where you didn't have to think about paying bills or whether or not you're going to get that raise or whether or not you're going to get that promotion. Where you didn't have to answer your phone. Where you didn't have to answer that email. Imagine if you got that one day and you could spend it doing whatever you wanted to do, however you wanted to spend it. What would you do? What would that day look like for you? To, to be able to go to bed at night and, and not have to set the alarm for the morning or, or for, like many of us, to turn off the alarm that's on every single day. What would that be like? To wake up from being refreshed instead of to wake up from that pinging sound in your ear from your phone. What would that be like? What does your day off look like? Now think about it. And then think about this. Whose permission do you need to take that day? Whose permission do you need? Now, for some people, I know, you, you're, the permission you need is going to be from your boss, right? You need to talk to somebody. I can't take a whole day off. I'm going to have to get permission. And, and, and I get that. And so it might take some working to find that day. But I will bet that like me, for most of the people in this room, the person that we have to get permission from to take that day off is the hardest person to get permission from to take that day off. Because we have to get permission from me. And it's hard to justify a day. And it's hard to be able to step back and say, okay, I know this is what's best for me. I'm going to do it. And Jesus is saying this. You need this. You were created to live your life in a rhythm, and part of that rhythm is to be able to rest, to recharge your physical body, to re-energize your mind, but also to find that inner rest in your soul. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.